We are continuing our series this morning called The Rhythm of God. We started two weeks ago by talking about how God, in the beginning, establishes certain rhythms. That if you really want to know about the Bible and ultimately about life, you can find that in the first 12 chapters of the Bible. That when God tells us through Moses in the beginning, what he's really doing is taking us back to the beginning of all things. That we see in Genesis 1, not just the story of creation, that we see the rhythm of redemption through the creation story. Last week, we looked at the second half of chapter 1, and we saw the rhythm of work, that God establishes work, and it is good. And so this week, we're going to look at relationships, the rhythm of relationships that God establishes in Genesis chapter 2. So as we continue this series called The Rhythm of God, we're going to look at the rhythm of relationships this morning. So we are going to look at particularly Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27, and then skip to chapter 2, verse 18 through 25. So Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 27, and then chapter 2, 18 through 25. Hear what God's word says to us this morning. In verse 26 of chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock of over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And on to chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave name to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked. And we're not ashamed. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beginning. Thank you for taking us back to the beginning to help us understand why things are the way they are. That in the very beginning, you establish rhythms for life. That in the beginning, we can see how you will work and how you will move. In the beginning, we can see your character and how you will work, not just through the history and the story of the Bible, but we will see how you will work and move in our lives as well. And so the few moments that we have left together this morning, would you preach to us through the power of your Holy Spirit? Make us come alive once again through your Spirit and according to your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We haven't figured out yet relationships are hard. Christy Brinkley, in a 2011 article that was titled, Marriage is Ridiculous, talks about her lifelong journey of trying to find love, trying to find the perfect mate. She really believed in a thing called love. 
And Christy Brinkley believed so much in love that when she came out with her own perfume line, she called it Believe. Well, after her last marriage dissolved, she was interviewed in 2011 and said, if I was to name perfume all over again, I would just call it Stinks. A British survey that came out last year actually did some scientific research and uh, they interviewed over a thousand people and over the thousand people that they surveyed, they said that hostile intimate relationships were 34% more likely to experience chest pains, heart attacks, and other heart trouble. 34% of the people they researched were more likely to experience heart attacks, chest pains, and other heart trouble. Needless to say, relationships are hard. But thankful, we're thankful this morning that God takes us back to the beginning and he talks to us about relationships, why we need relationships. And here in the passage that we just read, he gives us the first relationship, the first relationship between a male and a female. He gives us a picture of the first marriage. And it's in the first marriage that he gives us an an understanding about relationships and how these things are supposed to work. But he not only gives us a picture of the first marriage, and he not only teaches us about the first relationship here in Genesis chapter 12, but he's also going to show us how it ultimately points to our relationship with God. That is the ultimate big picture, to show us through this first marriage how it affects and relates to our ultimate relationship with God. So let's see what Genesis has to say about relationships this morning. Well, the first thing we have to ask ourselves is where do, where do relationships even come from? Well, we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we see God say what? Let us make man in our own image. You see, where this whole idea of relationships come from is the relationship of the Godhead. You see, if it, all along here in Genesis chapter 1, the pronoun is what? It's all in the singular. But it's not until he creates humanity. It's not until he creates human beings. So the pronoun changes to the plural. And we're invited into the heavens. And we see that God is is not impersonal, but that he is a very personal God. In fact, that he exists within three persons. We see the language here in verses, chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in his own image. So what is God doing here? He's speaking amongst the Trinity, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and in community and in unity together, they are coming together to create humanity. So the idea of relationships comes from the Trinity. It comes from the Godhead. That God says, I myself am in community. I myself have relationship. I have relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so the whole idea of relationships come from the Trinity. Only when he's creating us does this plurality come out. Only the Christian God is personal. The Christian God allows us to see that he is a personal God, experience community within the Godhead. So where do relationships come from? It comes from God himself. God is in community. God is in relationship with himself and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the question I want to answer this morning 
is not only where do relationships come from, we get that, that it comes from God. Why do we need relationships? Why wasn't God content with himself being in community and just creating us and just teaching us, you know, individually in isolation all about himself? The question I want us to answer is actually found in chapter 2, verse 18. If relationships come from God, why do we need them? And in verse 18, what does it say? It says, it's not good for man to be alone. What's peculiar about this? It's peculiar in a number of re- for a number of reasons. One, all along, all, from the very beginning, what has God said about his creation? It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. We get here in verse 18, and God says, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. And so it's very peculiar that God, all of a sudden, he stops and calls a timeout, and he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And the question is, what is missing? Is there something deficient? Is there something missing? Is there a design flaw in creation? No. God's not done yet. What God is still has yet to do is not only is he content with making man, he wants man to be with another person because he's lonely. Why? Because God, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, experience perfect community with one another. And in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1, what does it say? He will create man in his own image. Well, what is the image? Is it the image of isolation? Or is it the image of community and relationship? See, when God says, I create man in my image, it is in the image of community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for humanity to understand fully who God is and the image in which they've been created, the reason we need relationships is we'll never fully understand the image of God in our lives if we live by ourselves. And so God creates other people for us to have community with, for us to enter into relationship with. Why? So that we would understand the God in whose image we are created. That's why when, when God sees division in the church and in our neighborhoods and in our world and in our cultures and amongst races and amongst friends and amongst family members, it breaks his heart. Because we are created to be one just as God is one. And isn't that amazing? That here in the garden, the garden that God creates in Genesis chapter 2, that you could easily say that man has everything. He has power. He has paradise. But it's not enough. And our world and our culture teaches that Finding paradise and finding power is the ultimate goal. And relationships become a means to an end. We step on people and walk over people and become divisive with people in order to find what? Power and paradise. And we see here in Genesis chapter 2 that power, Adam had all the power in the world. He had dominion over the earth. He was in paradise. He had it made. Ultimate bliss. 
And God says that it's not good. See, the world says power and paradise is the ultimate goal. And God says, no, it's community and relationships that are the ultimate goal. That relationships are not a means to getting power and paradise, but it's actually, it's God giving us other people in community, friends and family member and people that might not look like us and talk like us and act like us, but God bringing us into community together in order to understand who this God is. You see, we are called to reflect the image of God. But we cannot reflect the image of God as it's meant to be reflected by ourselves. Because when we reflect the image of God by ourselves, we are not giving a proper reflection of the God that has created us. We have a God that has created us, a God that is in community. And so when we reflect God, we need to reflect Him in the midst of community, in the midst of the diverse community in order to reflect the image of God. You need relationships because you'll never fully understand your relationship with God without the relationships with others. Together we reflect the image of God. It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. There's two words in particular I want to draw your attention to because I think it's important, and it's found in verse 20. And in verse 20, it says, there was not a helper fit. There was not a helper fit for him. And so God is looking around and he says, there is not a helper fit for him. It's important to understand when God creates the woman, and he creates a woman with this idea in mind that he needs to find a helper or create a helper fit for him, for Adam, it's important to understand those two key words, helper and fit. The word helper there means Azar. And it's found, the word helper is found 19 times in the Old Testament. 16 times it is used to describe God. 16 times the word helper. This word helper here in chapter 2 is used to describe God. Why is that important? Because in our culture, there's a lot of men that look at the word helper and they go, that's an errand runner. The word helper there is used to describe your God. That's a beautiful thing. That your spouse is not an errand runner. That your spouse is called to be like God in your life. In the sense that it helps you and complements you and supports you, encourages you. For the men in a room that are married, that your spouse is called to reflect the image of God so that you would see God more fully than you could do apart. That's a beautiful thing that the word helper there means. The God is used later in the Old Testament to describe the God that helps and supports and comes alongside of. The other word there, fit, also can mean suitable. You've heard the word, the suitable helper. But in the translation we're using this morning, it says fit, a helper fit. It actually means the total opposite. Isn't that interesting? The word fit there, or suitable, actually means the total opposite. And and what God is trying to show here is that when he brings a helper alongside of Adam, it is not just a helper, but it is a helper that's the total opposite. Why? So that the relationship would be fully 
complementary of each other. That there would be things that the woman would bring to the man that he could never find or discover or understand by himself. A helper that is suitable. A helper that is fit. Perfect complement. For those that are married, and I know this is not a marriage sermon, we will preach on marriage later, but understand that for those that are married, that you do not have a person that you can simply boss around, that you do not simply have an errand runner. You have somebody that God has called to be right by your side to enter into the vocation of bringing light to the world, light to the darkness, order to the chaos, life out of death. You have a partner that God has called you to be a suitable helper, a perfect fit that totally complements you, that together, only together, can you fully understand and complement God. Okay, let's get back to the text. Just a sidebar comment on helper and fit because I think it is so important. Why do we need relationships? Because only in relationships do we fully understand God. But the question is, how do we get this kind of relationship? Because look what the relationship looks like. Look in verse 23. It says this, the man says, after the woman is created, the suitable helper is here. Man says what? This, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. That word there, this, can also be translated as finally or at last, now. See, the relationship that God enters, that allows Adam to enter into this woman, is one that is fully satisfying. He says, now, finally, finally, my heart is content. You see, the relationship that God allows the first male and the first female to be entered into and created into is a relationship that is not only a helper and fully complementary to one another, but it is fully satisfying to one another. The relationship is perfect. It has a sense of ultimate satisfaction problem is you sit here this morning and you go, you don't know my relationships. My relationships are the least thing from ultimately satisfying. I could never look at my relationships and go, now, finally. For some of you, you think of relationships and your heart breaks. For some of you, you are, have experienced or are experiencing marital brokenness. You think of the relationship with your parents, whether it be a father or a mother, and you think it, it's nothing like this. There's nothing satisfying about that relationship. The only thing it brings up is hurt and brokenness. You think of relationships maybe with your kids or with friends or family members. You see, we ultimately live our lives between two daytimers, right? There's the daytimer when we open it up and we look at the events and the parties and the lunches and the dinners and we look forward to them. They bring us life. But then the other daytimer we open up, we think of the family dinners and the lunches and the meetings with people and it takes the life right out of us. You see, for some of you this morning, you think of relationships and you go, relationships are exhausting. Rob, the last thing I need is another relationship in my life. Work is hard. My kids are taking me down. Home life is terrible. It's been turned upside down. When I go home, I want to go into my room and lock the door and never come out. 
One psychologist said, ultimately, we're all really deep down inside introverts, just pretending to be extroverts. But deep down inside, when we think of relationships, it is absolutely exhausting. So yeah, Rob, you can say, yeah, God, great. Relationships are seen in the Trinity and relationships are perfect and the suitable helper and they're created. Relationships are good. So we can together reflect the image of God, but you don't understand the relationships in my life. And you're right, I don't. You're right, I don't. But God does. And it's interesting, the way God designed this relationship, why was it ultimately satisfying? Why was Adam able to say, now, finally, the perfect relationship is here? The answer is found in verse 25. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and they weren't ashamed. That's the answer. You see, the only way relationships function as if they were supposed to function, the only way that relationships are good is when we can be naked and unashamed. What does that mean? To be naked and unashamed in the Bible, it means to be totally open, totally transparent, totally honest, with no shame. You see, you sit here this morning, and rightfully so, you go, that's impossible. That's impossible. Because we either live our lives as, hey, I'm going to be an open book, but I've just realized that I'm going to be rejected and isolated. Or, I fear rejection so much, if people knew the real me, I would be totally cast off and rejected. So therefore, I will live my life in a facade. I will live my life covered up, hiding, always pretending. And that's the reason relationships are exhausting. Because I can never be myself. I can never be the real me. So when you see here in verse 25, they were naked and unashamed, you say, of course. Hey, great. It sounds like bliss. I can be totally myself. I can be open and honest and transparent without any fear of rejection. But you and I know that's impossible unless, unless there was one that would come centuries later that would hang naked on a cross and take on the shame of the world. And it would be through that man's nakedness and taking on our shame fully rejected by his people, even rejected by his father when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only if there really was a man by the name of Jesus who centuries later fulfilled what we could never fulfill, to be totally naked and unashamed. Only through that man can we actually enter into relationships without the fear of rejection, without the fear of being tossed aside, without the fear of not being accepted. Only then can we have relationships as if they were created to be. Look at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 5 and 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, 
being, being, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There was a man named Jesus who became humiliated on the cross, took on our humiliation, took on our shame, was rejected by his friends, was rejected by the people, was rejected by God the Father when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Stripped naked and humiliated so that you would never have the fear of rejection. That you could actually enter into relationships and enter into life knowing that there is one that has fully covered me through his death on the cross. Could you imagine, could you imagine what your relationships would look like with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids, with your co-workers, with your church, if you actually believe this to be true? Could you imagine if you entered into relationships with the people even here at Coral Ridge or in your family or your spouse, you entered into relationships knowing I am nothing. I am nothing but shame without Jesus. Could you imagine what our relationships would begin to look like? The forgiveness that would flow out of that and the grace that would flow out of that and the acceptance that would flow out of that. The reconciliation which this church is committed to. The reconciliation of people that this church is wholeheartedly committed to. Could you imagine how that vision would take off if we actually believe this to be true? Only once I experience this only once I experience being fully received by God in my nakedness and in my shame and not being cast off because of Jesus Christ only then once I experience that relationship and only once I experience that relationship can I actually have relationships with others as they were created to be as they were created to be let me close with this if you've never seen uh, the movie Antoine Fisher, I highly recommend it. Antoine Fisher, the movie is based on a, a book called Finding Fish. Uh, it stars Denzel Washington, if, you, if you're a Denzel Washington fan. And in the movie, Antoine Fisher, it's a true story about a boy who lost his father before he was born. And his mother was incarcerated and he was born in a jail, and after he was born, he was shipped off to orphanages and adoption homes and people that would never truly accept him. Well, losing his father before his birth and never really meeting his mother, he grew in his life full of anger and full of bitterness because of rejection, being rejected by the ones that he loved. And throughout the course of the movie, he, he enters into the Navy, somehow thinking that would might be able to uh, get his anger out, and that only makes him more angry. Angry at life, angry at the world, bitter and rejected. And he meets Denzel Washington, this psychologist, and he challenges him, and he says, the only way you'll begin to heal, the only way you'll get over this bitterness and this anger is you've got to go back to your roots. You've got to go home. And finally, after 
years of counseling and, and, and challenging him to go home to find his roots, he finally does so. And he finds his aunt and his uncle and, in a phone book. And he realizes that his mom lives just down the street. And he sets up an appointment to go see his mom. And his mom won't even look at him. So full of shame, so full of guilt. And they're led back to a room and the mom sits down and she is crying, looking down at the ground, cannot even look at her son. And in an act of grace, as if to say, I forgive you, Antoine Fisher walks over to his mother and he kisses her on the cheek and he walks away. But in his heart, he still feels like there is something wrong. There is something missing. I've come full circle. I even went back to to my mom, the mom who rejected me at birth. And now she rejects me once again. And he comes back to his aunt and uncle's house, and to his surprise, when he opens the door, there are 50 people crammed into this small house There are kids lined up and down the staircase with posters in Crayola saying, Welcome home, fish. Welcome home, fish. He gets kissed by his cousins. He gets greeted by his aunt and uncles. And an elderly woman, a family member, seated at a table in the back, waves him over and says, Sit down, fish. And she whispers in his ear, Welcome home. Years later in an interview, they asked the real Antoine Fisher about that scene. And they said, what was it like? And he said, I, there's no words to explain. You'll never understand. And I can never explain what it meant to be welcomed home. Well, for you this morning, if you know Christ, you do understand can explain what it means to be welcomed home, what it means to be found in Christ, that through his rejection, you would be fully accepted forever, and that would move you and your heart to fully accept others, to enter into relationship with others, and because you have been reconciled to God through the rejection of Jesus Christ, you can now be reconciled to others.